Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul declared, quote, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. These are certainly two of the most provocative verses in all the Bible. What exactly does the Apostle Paul mean by these forceful and seemingly harsh scriptures? Let's open our Bible now to 1 Timothy chapter 2, that we might learn what it truly means that a woman is not permitted to teach, and she might, quote, learn in quietness and full submission. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It's a Tuesday afternoon here in Texas, and man, it's just a... It's a good afternoon to be just talking about Jesus, to be loving on Jesus, to be spending time with Jesus and just to man be be digging into the word of God, right? To be just pulling apart the word of God and uh, to just be feeding our spirit and soul in the scriptures. So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. So today we're uh, continuing in First Timothy chapter two. Lord willing, we'll do verses eight to uh, 15, and man, it's just been good stuff. We uh, we studied this in Bible study this morning. Uh, one of our elders, Jesse, led the Bible study, did a great job. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. We thank you for our Bible, Father. We thank you, Father, for this book of 1 Timothy, Father, and just the, you know, uh, Lord, the, uh, the immense just blessing and, and just wonderful letter this is, Lord, from the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy. Lord, we just thank you for just all the, the insights that we can glean from this, Lord, the blessings we can receive, Lord. And uh, Father, we just thank you for this. We thank you for it. Father, as always, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect, righteous life on our behalf that we could never live. We thank you for dying a torturous death on our behalf that we should have died, that we deserve to die. And we thank you that you're alive and risen, and we worship you today, our risen Savior. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see, ears that hear, and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 to 15. Paul says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Wow, thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, so just, just listening to that, right? There seems to be some seriously 
provocative statements that the apostle makes here, right? Um, you know, just, just reading the words as they sit on the page, it's just, golly, it almost comes off oppressive, um, you know, toward women, right? Um, but we're going to break it down. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to unpack it here. And this will be a good lesson in Bible study, okay, of how we study the scriptures. Because I think by the time we're done, right, with verses 8 to 15, you you won't find it, you know, as as potentially off-putting as, as it could be. Now, hear me. The scripture is real. It says what it says, and it means what it says. But but it is a skill to study the scripture and unpack it and to really see what it's saying, right? And so we're going to go through that now. Um, and I think when we come out on the other side of this, this will, you know, this will make good sense to you, right? So thank you, Lord Jesus. I mean, I've studied this a lot. Um, you know, I've studied with, with, with just various, uh, you know, I don't know how many different scholars and what their insights are on it. Um, studying it, you know, myself over and over and over and over and, and, you know, thinking through the scriptures, pulling them apart, putting them back together. So let's go. All right. Verse eight. Paul says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger and disputing. And if, you know, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see me lifting up my hands now to heaven. Um, and, you know, Paul says that that this is a, you know, that he, he wants us to have this reverence. Right. We, we, he actually says to lift up our hands, you know, as a form of reverence as a form of, of acknowledging and worship, right? Now, he is speaking here about, uh, you know, about really church gatherings and, and all the churches were house churches at this time. Um, but just in general, he says, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Now, he is speaking directly to men here. Now, certainly this applies to women as well. But we know he's speaking particularly to men here because in the next verse, he's going to say, I also want women. Now, again, there's a principle here that certainly applies to both men and women. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. I've talked about this before, that, uh, that how we posture ourselves in prayer, how we use our bodies really will help us, right, in and, and really experiencing an intimacy in a growing prayer life. It was C.S. Lewis who said, and I've said this before, that as human beings, we are animals, and what our bodies do affects our soul. So when we do the physical action of lifting up our, our hands in prayer, okay, that, that's a, a help to us. Now, by no means is Paul saying, or am I saying that every single time you pray, do you need to lift your hands to heaven or bend your knees um, and pray on your knees here, right? Um, but again, getting down on your knees and posturing yourself, you know, in a humble and submissive way before the Lord and, you know, doing this before your children and grandchildren that they can see you, right? Whether you're a man or woman, literally get down on your knees and, and, and praying to Jesus or our Heavenly Father or the Holy Spirit, right? As I've said before, we have a triune God, one being, three distinct, separate individual persons, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We can, we can pray to any one of the members of the Trinity. Um, we can praise any member of the Trinity. We can thank any member of the Trinity, and certainly we should 
in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian today, you actually have relationship with God the Father, with God the Son, Jesus, and with God the Holy Spirit, if you're in Jesus Christ today. And so, again, this posturing, you know, of our bodies, lifting our hands to heaven and kneeling, okay, um, you know, these, these acts of reverence will help us. So, again, once a day, twice a day, I get down on my knees at least twice a day, once very, you know, almost right away after I get up, within a minute or two after I'm awake, um, and get out of bed, you know, I will, you know, I'll get down on my knees just for a minute or two. It's not long. And I'll open my, my day in prayer um, for myself and others. And then before I go to bed, you know, I'll commit my spirit, soul and body and that of others, you know, into the hands of, of you know, of my heavenly father. Um, but again, this lifting hands in prayer, okay, this physical act will, will help you and will help me if done with the right heart to grow closer to Jesus. Now hear me, of course, Jesus is more concerned, our Heavenly Father is more concerned with the condition of our hearts than the posture of our bodies. However, how we posture our bodies certainly can and will help us if done with the right heart to have a, a more pure heart in walking with Jesus. So again, it's not that every prayer has to be done on your knees. It's not that every prayer has to be done with lifting hands. I get down on my knees more than I lift my hands, but studying this, I want to lift my hands more, right? It's interesting. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. And look at what he says, without anger or disputing. Now again, he's talking to men here and he's going to go on to talk about how he expects men to be the the leaders in the church, that the elders, as he's going to talk about in the next uh, the next chapter, um, you know, ought to be the leaders in the church, and they ought to be the the ones that are teaching. So, but he says to do this without anger or disputing. And you know, when you think about it, when when you're posturing yourself in reverence to the Lord, right? If you're lifting your hands to the Lord, or if you're kneeling before the Lord in this posture of, of reverence. You know, there, there ought not be just, you know, anger and disputing, right? Your heart not, not, not ought to be one of agitation, of frustration, of disagreement, right? So do you see what he's saying here? I mean, <laughs> there ought to be, you know, just, just a certain humility and peace and orderliness and mutual submission, right? Um, that we can, we can worship our Heavenly Father our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, you know, with, without just getting into disagreements about the silliest things, okay? Um, and, and because that just obviously, it takes away from the beauty or the sincerity or the overall reverence of the moment, right? Um, when there's anger and disputing and, you know, disagreements, and, and just, you know, all kinds of just disorderly arguments, right? It's just, it's childish, it's immature, and, and regrettably, it is a, a near staple in the church today. So um, forgive us, Father, and I, and I do ask you to help us in the name of Jesus, just to, just to not only lift our hands, to kneel, and to posture ourselves, Father, in prayer and thanksgiving and praise and worship, Lord, and a spirit of unity in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, so here we go. I also want women to dress modestly, verse 9, 
with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, verse 10, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So again, Paul is speaking about now, um, you know, in church, okay? He's not saying that it's wrong in itself by any means for a woman to have braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Now, he's certainly saying that ought not be her identity, okay? But particularly in a church gathering or a worship gathering, right, where, you know, men and women are coming together, um, you know, in, in a church setting. Again, all of these would have been house churches, but it'll be the same at our church buildings, wherever they are around the world, okay? The focus ought not to be on your outward appearance, okay? Now, in no way is Paul saying that we ought to just roll into church like an unmade bed, right? That's not his point here, okay? I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. So what he's saying here is, is quite clear, okay? Um, that in the culture, okay, um, and certainly in our culture today, and as I've said, in our culture, this is not just true of women, this is true of men as well. This is not a place, going to church is not a place where you should dress in a manner that's gonna draw undue attention to yourself as a woman. Now, again, he says he's speaking directly to women here, but the application, again, in 2024 certainly can be to men, right? When, when we come together in church or when you come together in fellowship around the word of God or in a Bible study, right, um, it, it, it shouldn't be about you wanting to arrange your hair, right, braided hair, or gold, or pearls, or expensive clothes, you shouldn't be a distraction because you're trying to make yourself so appealing that, that you're drawing attention to yourself, okay? Now, again, of course, it's good to go and look, you know, you know, made up and to look, you know, professional and to look, you know, um, you know, clean and with your hair done properly, but, but it ought not be you know, uh, to an extent where you're drawing, a, uh, you know, attention to yourself or where you're a distraction to what's going on. Okay. And th that obviously should seem reasonable to everyone. Okay. Um, you know, um, when, when we're in church, right. You know, if, if, if a woman is dressing in a way that's provocative, right. Um, and, you know, say the skirts are just obviously a little bit too short, Again, that's clearly going to be a distraction, right? Um, you know, it, it could, of course, you know, uh, you know, produce impure thoughts in men. And again, he's speaking here in the church. Now, again, in general, right, a woman ought to dress in a way that's that's appropriate. And again, I'm not saying I know what that is. I'm not the authority of that. But again, if 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 a woman is dressed in a way that's that's clearly revealing you know, aspects of her body that, that are going to lead men into sexual temptation, okay? That's clearly not the will of the Lord, okay? Obviously, any reasonable Christian person understands that. Now, listen, at the same time, I'm not saying that, that a woman has to, you know, to kind of run every aspect of her life because there's perverts running around everywhere. I'm not saying that either. I'm not saying that she needs to, you know, consistently you know, manage every aspect of her life because, 
you know, men are always going to be looking at her. But again, the point of the scripture is clear, right? I also want women to dress modestly, okay? Um, you know, modestly, appropriately, well-dressed, with decency. And here's this word, propriety, okay? So his, his heart, he's saying for women here, is to just, you know, to have an attitude in your dress. And he's going to go on to talk about an attitude in their speech of decency and propriety and orderliness, okay? I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Now, again, this is specifically talking about in a, in a church setting, in a, in a Bible study setting, okay? In a setting where we're coming together. This is not speaking about, you know, a business attire. This is not speaking about, you know, you know, you know, when we're in the world, right? And, and I would say, again, of course, still women ought to dress somewhat modestly, right? When they're, when they're uh, you know, not in church. But this is speaking, you know, uh, especially, you know, when we're coming together, our focus needs to be on the Lord. We're there to worship the Lord. We're not there to, to have people be distracted or looking at us so that we could be appealing, right? So hopefully that makes good, plain sense. Not with braided hair or golds or pearls, gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So it's interesting. Paul, you know, Paul expects us, the scripture expects women and again, and men, uh, certainly to dress in a way that's appropriate and proper and clean cut, right? Um, but he says, but with good deeds, verse 10, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So again, the uh, a, a woman ought to be concerned more about how she's living her life than about being the most attractive she can be physically. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with, with wanting to look nice. But again, your heart ought to be, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Okay, so again, particularly when we're coming you know, into a church setting, into a worship service, um, we want our dress to be, you know, in a manner that doesn't draw undue attention to ourselves, that is certainly not leading, you know, men to, you know, to be sexually tempted, um, you know, and and with a heart just to to bring orderliness, right? With, with a heart to be submissive to what's happening, you know, in the church setting. And that's going to lead to verse 11, which again is... is it's one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. You know, I've seen this verse and read um, different uh, commentaries on this verse that are just, uh, you know, that are just absurd, right? So in light of everything I just said, let's look at verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission, okay? Now, again, what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about in a church setting. He's talking about, again, in a place where everyone is coming together to worship the Lord, to study the word of God, right? So again, it could be a church setting. It could be a Bible study, right? Um, it could be just a night of praise and worship in someone's home or at the church. What does he mean here? A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I've already said this. So full submission means, again, she is, she is orderly and she's simply submissive to, to the order of how the elders 
who are leading the church service, right? And again, when I say elders, it's pastor slash elders, um, you know, to how they, you know, they're ordering the service. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Okay, quietness, again, doesn't, it doesn't mean, you know, that she can't speak at all, right? You know, some of the other versions say, you know, that, that a woman should not speak in church. It doesn't mean that she, you know, she can have no words come out of her mouth whatsoever. It doesn't mean that a sound cannot, you know, cannot come out of her mouth. And even when it says here, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission, it doesn't mean she has to be, you know, be careful that she can't open her mouth and not speak at all. Quietness and full submission means that, again, not only in her dress should she be modest and orderly and, and not a distraction, but in her speech, right? She shouldn't be abrupt. She shouldn't be interrupting. Um, she shouldn't look to be drawing attention to herself by being loud or distracting or, you know, uh, hysterical, right? Um, a woman should learn in quietness and in, and in full submission. Doesn't that just seem reasonable, right? Um, again, I, obviously a, a woman can speak and she can have conversations, but there's an orderliness to the service that Paul is, is laying out here. And when it says full submission, it, it simply means that she is she's submitted to the orderly atmosphere that the pastors and elders and leaders of the church or the Bible study or the worship service or whatever it is and how they're running it, right? A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. So again, her heart is, you know, to just, to not cause disorder, to not cause distraction, first in her dress, right? And, and now in her speech, Right? Doesn't that seem reasonable to all of us as men and women? Um, obviously, the principle would apply to men as well. Okay, a man certainly shouldn't be interrupting. Right? He shouldn't be, you know, a distraction. Um, he too ought to be submissive to the, you know, to the order of the church service. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Now, again, I don't want to take from the fact that he is addressing women here, um, and it's so it is something for women to consider. Now, again, there's there's Absolutely, it doesn't give men license to not do these things, right? Verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent, okay? Again, when it says silent here, it doesn't mean that, that you know, that a peep cannot come from her mouth. It doesn't mean that, you know, that, that she can't make any sound whatsoever, Okay, as some take this to mean, which again is is ridiculous. Okay, Paul is speaking about here clearly, you know, in a church setting. Paul expects the men to step up, and he's going to give this order of authority in verse thirteen, and to be the leaders, to be the pastors, and to be the elders. Okay, now again, it doesn't mean a woman cannot teach at all. It doesn't even mean that a woman cannot teach a man spiritual things at all. As a matter of fact, a woman should do those things. This is talking about in a, in a, in a public gathering in church, a woman ought not assert herself, right? And, you know, and insist or demand or impose that, that, that she is going to be the one that's, that's leading the church service. That's, that's teaching the church service. 
Paul is clear here and the scripture is clear that the Lord has set forth that he expects the men to occupy the position of elder and of pastor in the church setting. Okay. When they, you know, when we come together as a church or again in a Bible study. Now, again, it doesn't mean that, you know, that if, if a woman is leading a Bible study and there, there happens to be some guys there and she happens to be teaching the Bible study. Okay. That's fine. All right. We don't want to, we don't want to go off the rails with what's being said here. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. So again, a woman is not to insist and demand, you know, a, a, a position of preeminence, right? She's not to demand a position of leadership or demand to be heard, okay? When it says she must be silent, again, um, again, it's talking about that she can't just you know, in the middle of the service, maybe she has a question on her mind with something the pastor said, and she's just going to blurt out that, you know, I don't like what you said. I don't agree with you said. I don't believe that should be in here. Obviously, that's disorderly, right? It's foolish. It's it's silly. Um, Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Again, it was a prosperous town. And, you know, and, and already, right, you know, feminism was a problem there. Okay, feminism is not biblical. Again, when I say feminism, I mean just a demand that that a woman can, you know, can do, you know, any job that a man can do and that she should be allowed to do any job a man can do, even when it's counterintuitive. Right. When when women are forcing themselves, forcing themselves into, you know, what, what are intuitively male roles. And, you know, and it's the same the other way when men are forcing themselves into what are intuitively female roles, right? Women shouldn't try to be fathers, men shouldn't try to be mothers, and so on and so forth, right? Um, can a woman be a firefighter if she can pick up a 200 pound man and, you know, and firemen's carrier on her shoulder, then, then have at it, okay? But if not, no. And feminism, again, is something where it's insisting that a woman should be able to do that, even if she's not qualified to do it. And, and again, the same goes for men in this situation, right? I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. So again, we have in the scriptures, okay, in the book of Acts, we see Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla's actually mentioned first. They're a, a wife and husband couple. But scholars have said clearly that Priscilla is the one that's more zealous for Christ. Okay, so her name is mentioned first, which would never be the case in the ancient world. You would always, the wife would always be mentioned after her husband. Um, but Priscilla and Aquila are teaching Apollos private doctrine. Now, again, this is not being done in the church, but they did educate him on the proper doctrine of Jesus Christ, okay? And it was said of Apollos that he was mighty in the scriptures, and some believe he wrote the book of Hebrews, okay? Um, in Romans 16, um, you know, uh, some of the translations say that that uh, that Phoebe, who is the one that, that the Apostle Paul entrusted what many say is the greatest piece of literature ever written in the book of Romans, when that book of Romans had been completed and written on the scroll, Paul handed it to a woman named Phoebe, and it's, it's believed that she was a deaconess in the church, so that she did have an actual position of leadership in the church. Now, again, it doesn't say she was teaching in the church assembly, okay? But she certainly was uh, a leader and was entrusted to carry this, this letter 
you know, to Rome, which is again, uh, again, it's it's a it's a privilege that's that's unimaginable, and so it's obvious again that that Paul again viewed women in a uh, you know in a proper and high light. Okay, so again, to make it clear, what Paul is saying here is a woman can teach; she can absolutely do that. But in the church service, right when the body of Christ is coming together, right um, as a rule, the Lord does expect the men to take the position of elder and teacher. Okay. And now he's going to explain here um, in these next two verses, you know, he's going to give the order of men and women in creation, right? Uh, in, uh, in the book of Genesis, verse 13, uh, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Look at it. For Adam was formed first, five words, then Eve, seven word verse, right? I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So he's giving an order of creation here, right? So just like in the church service, uh, you know, the Lord expects the men to take the leadership roles, okay? And the women to have a submissive orderly attitude and not be a distraction, right? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Okay, that's the order of creation. Verse 14, and this is interesting. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now it's interesting because it's clear, I believe it's Romans 5, 12, that, that the world fell into sin because of Adam's sin. In the Garden of Eve, in, in the Garden of uh, Eden, um, Eve was actually deceived. She was tricked by Satan, right? Um, Adam, Adam willfully sinned. Eve came to him after she had, you know, disobeyed and fallen into sin and eaten the, for, you know, the forbidden fruit. Uh, she gave some to Adam and Adam willfully took it and ate it. Okay. So Adam wasn't deceived. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't uh, tricked. He just willfully sinned. Okay. But what Paul is saying here is that, that the woman, you know, because, you know, of her, you know, of the temptations that, you know, that Satan had led her into, you know, was subject to deception. Um, and she, you know, she brought sin into the world. Now, again, she was deceived. She was tricked. Adam did it as a, as a willful sin. So the scripture makes it plain that Adam is responsible for the, you know, for the, you know, for the fall of humanity. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. So again, Paul is saying um, that the woman was subject to deception. And, and again, intuitively, and again, this is not the case generally in 2024, but as a rule, women can be you know more emotional, right? Um, I, I'm certainly not going to say in 2024 that, that women are more subject to deception because I certainly can't tell any difference, right? But Paul is, is, again, showing the order of things here and how they happened, right? Not only was Adam formed first, but Eve fell into sin and deception first. And then verse 15, again, is a, is a difficult to understand verse, but not really if we break it down and we keep it, we keep it together with this whole section of Scripture following Paul's thought, right? Verse 15, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness. And here it is again with propriety. So again, he's mentioning propriety. Again, what does this mean? But women will be saved through childbearing. Well, it certainly doesn't mean that that they'll go to heaven 
by having children. Okay, the word saved here is not talking about salvation from sin and going to heaven, because obviously then women who didn't have children couldn't go to heaven. Okay, so that's not what this is saying. Right. Um, in this whole context and, and, you know, in this whole this whole thought that Paul is bringing forth here in the scriptures. But women will be saved through childbearing, saved. Uh, you know, what Paul is really saying is is saved or restored, um, you know, or they'll be preserved from, you know, from a from a, a bad reputation. OK, but women will be saved through childbearing. OK, they'll be restored. They'll be preserved. But through childbearing, if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. So what is he talking about here? He's really talking about that women will, you know, through through raising up godly children, not only natural children, but spiritual children as well. Right. As as women influence Right. Other people, other other men, other women. Right. Children of their own or spiritual children that they have. But women will be saved. They'll be saved from this, you know, bad reputation. Right. They'll be saved from, you know, um, just this this deception. Right. Uh, they'll be saved from proclivities of sin, as I've said, that not only do women have, but men have, you know, through childbearing. If they continue in faith, love and holiness, and there it is again, with propriety. So again, Paul's whole thought process here is again, that is a woman has propriety in her life that he calls faith, love and holiness, a faith, love and holiness that she not only raises up her own children with, that she makes plain to everyone else, that she pours into spiritual children. Again, she's not saved from her sin. She's certainly not going to heaven, you know for any of this, but she is producing a legacy, right? That will, that will outlive her as she lives in this way. So again, she'll be saved, she'll be preserved, she'll be restored as she longs and, and labors to live in, in faith in Christ and the love of Christ and the holiness with Christ. And again, that with propriety is big. Because that's really what Paul is talking about in this whole thing, that there just be a propriety in a way that a woman handles herself. And again, in that culture, and certainly in our culture today, again, women were looking to assert themselves in an assertive, assertive and aggressive manner that would have been disorderly, um, you know, and just, and just not of the Lord. So hopefully that makes sense. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy, your favor, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. We, we thank you for these wonderful instructions that Paul has given us, Father, in 1 Timothy. We just uh, we ask you to help us, Father, to, to, to truly posture ourselves in prayer, Lord, and that we would posture our bodies, whether it be lifting up our hands or kneeling. And Lord, that we, we would not just, uh, we wouldn't have arguing and disputing, Lord, and, and anger and frustration and just all the pettiness that we do. Father, we do ask you to help us to take these scriptures for what they mean, Lord. Well, we ask you to help us not to twist them. We ask you to help us to live according to them. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.